it's awesome to be together today. You guys sound especially good today. And that's good because I think I sound especially hoarse today. But uh, is this going to work, Francisco? Okay, we got it. Francisco does a great job back there. Uh, we're excited today. We're going to be talking about holiness. And if you're here uh, joining us, we've been going through a series talking about keeping in step with the Spirit and not being left behind on where God is leading us and where God has taken us. I hear a lot of echo, don't you? Okay. Okay, here we go. We'll go old school today. Bear with me. Okay, I don't know much about technology, but I do know I need to shut this one off before I go with that one. But we've been talking about keeping in step with the Spirit. That's better. And we've talked about all different kinds of topics as we've gotten the year started. This is eight weeks into the year. Hopefully you've started spiritually. We've talked about putting God first. We've talked about digging into the Word and prayer. We've talked about faith and perseverance and giving and evangelism and discipling. And today we're going to talk about holiness. And in a special way, this one really links it all together, that trying to be like Christ. And we're going to go through a bit of a topical study today as we finish out our MOVE series here. And I pray, let's say a prayer and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this time to be together. God, I pray that you be with our hearts in the next few minutes, that they'll come alive by your word and your spirit. God, that you'll lead us, that you'll help us to think about the things that you want us to think about. You'll help us to be encouraged, to be challenged, uh, to be convicted, to be, to be lifted up by you. Uh, God, get me out of the way, and I pray that your spirit will move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so turn over in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. And I don't know what you think about, but this is the first time that the Israelites are meeting God. You know, you meet people for the first time and you notice things about them. Whether they're nice, whether they're angry, whether they're having a bad day, whether they're good looking, whatever. You notice all things about them. And imagine meeting God for the first time and this is what it is. He says, on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they did not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. 
Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. Imagine thunder, lightning, trembling, smoke, fire coming down and you're meeting God for the first time. What would you feel? They were terrified. They heard God speak and it was so intimidating that they just said, just talk to Moses and let him come down and tell us. One sermon was enough. You know, imagine if you were in that car next to that fire. How you would feel the heat. How you would feel in your heart. How powerful would you feel? And how powerful would I feel? I found this picture of a, of a lightning storm over a volcano. I just have this feeling somebody's going to come up to me and tell me this isn't real. But it, God did, maybe God did something like this. It would be real if he did it. And just imagine the fire and lightning. I'm almost gotten struck by lightning one time. It was within a few feet and I dove and hit the ground and I was laying down like, like spread eagle in the rain. And I was repenting of every sin I could think of. I don't think I had my quiet time yet. And I was just like, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to get to it. But man, that, that, it stops your heart. That was the God that they were introduced to. That's my first point. There is a God. And I am not him. From their first meeting with God, they realized that God is over there and I'm over here. That he is big and powerful and awesome and he created everything and I am here. And I am trembling. And I don't know what my capabilities are, but I know that they're a lot less than his. Or if you're a little older, maybe you could have it translated this way. From Rudy. With the sage man, teacher that says, Son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I am not him. You know, sometimes we want to be God. We want to direct things. We feel like we're in charge. I feel like my life is one level of surrender after another. And the things that I think I have control over now, I probably don't. And in the future, I'm going to realize, no, I don't have control over them either. The Bible says that God got you up today, and when it's time for you to breathe your last, he'll take you home. And there's nothing you can do about it. God is God, and we are not. The term holy, Kadesh, which means apartness, holiness, sacredness, or separateness. That it talks about God being holy, that he is set apart, that he is sacred, that he is separate. And it talks about different places that are holy. They made Moses take off his sandals when he went to the burning bush. And it talks about things that were made holy, regular things that when they come in contact with God become holy. 
The only thing that can call or make something holy is God himself. There's nothing you can do about it, and there's nothing I can do about it. The things that are holy must be touched by God. And if they're not touched by God, then they're not holy. Because only God is holy, as the Israelites figured out. You know, there's a topic called fearing God that you never hear preached anymore. It's not a real popular topic in our world. Because of the sin of some, people have refused to have an awe and reverence for God. Because they grow up being afraid of a parent or afraid of a babysitter or afraid of somebody, some person. You know, but the Bible says that when you have a fear of God, it's the beginning of wisdom. You've got to believe that the Israelites at the foot of that mountain, they learned a couple things. And when God was ready to speak, I bet they were ready to listen. Because fear of him, respect and awe of him is the beginning of wisdom. It says that you cannot praise God in Psalm 22 unless you have a healthy fear of him. Unless you have an awe and see God who he really is, then you don't really give him the glory that he's due. You know, so many times we undercut God. Because he's only as big as we think he is. And we think we understand what he's doing or what he's not doing. You know, we can only enjoy fully his blessings and benefits when we realize that everything comes from him. When we understand that nothing that we have is from our own selves. We can be at peace when we know that God is on our side. That we know that we have the most powerful being in the universe protecting us and guiding us and leading us. But there's two kinds of fear of God. When you're on his side, it produces an awe and reverence and obedience and wonder that allows us to appreciate the Father that he is. And when you're not on his side, there's a dread and terror and anticipation of displeasure that goes along hand in hand with who God is, the creator, the judge, the almighty. And today we can't make him small. We can't make him serving us. That he's trying to help us to have a feeling or he's trying to give us something. He is, but he's the one, we're the ones that need to give him our lives. It's not the other way around. I found this quote from, I'm not sure what version, because I've read this verse a bunch. In Psalm 34, it says, Those who fear God, fear nothing else. Imagine what your life would be like without fear. Without fear of your boss, without fear of your neighbor, without fear of your friend, without fear of your spouse, without fear of your kids. What, what everybody's going to think of us. To live a life where we honor God first, it puts us at peace. Because truth be told, when we fear him, we don't care what other people think about us. Because he's our father. He's the one that I want to answer to. And yet, it's so good to be reminded. Because I can live by fear. I can can have fear for my kids. I can have fear for my wife. I can have, we we went off-roading yesterday. And man, I said a few extra prayers, looking over the side of the cliff and just hoping that my son wasn't going to go right. 
But there's a lot to be afraid of, but not when God's on our side. I found this scripture. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. That when we really understand God, that it's not, we're, we're not afraid to trust his love and his guidance in our lives. That we realize he has got me just where he wants me to be, that he's leading me. That he's opening doors for me, that he's waiting for me to step towards him, to catch me in his arms. The unfailing love that we're looking for, sometimes we don't realize where it is, but it's with God. And I pray that today that you see that in a special way. You know, I just went through Exodus in a short way. And just imagine the awe that they would have had of God. With Moses at the burning bush just talking to him. And God telling him to take off his shoes. When he gave him the the command to keep a Sabbath and make it holy. A day set aside for the Lord. That you're going to honor me and you're going to trust me. Because you're not going to make money these days. You're going to trust that I'm going to take care of you. In chapter 29. The priest had a special calling of awe of God. When he called, they, they were called to put their hands on top of a bull and actually sacrifice them while they were touching their heads so they could feel the pain of sin. And you hear that today and you go, man, that's disgusting. Yes, it is. But that's what God wanted us to see, that sin causes death. And for him to feel the personal responsibility for sin. But what a disturbing, I'm sure that was something that you would never forget. You know, and then in chapter 32, Moses gets angry and hits the rock and the water comes out and everybody's drinking. And God reminds him, he said, because you didn't honor me as holy, you won't go into the promised land. And I can look at that and I say, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, what's the difference if you speak to the rock or if you hit the rock? If you're in a good mood or if you're angry, you're still getting water for everybody. But God was very concerned about obedience to his word. It wasn't something that he was willing to deviate for, even for Moses. What makes me think that he's going to deviate for me? That his word is eternal. We've got to deviate to his word. We've got to follow it to the T. Because that's his eternal words, his eternal direction for our lives. You know, the final thing I found, now there's a lot, but was just the care and concern that he went through to build this tabernacle where God was going to live. Have you ever read Exodus and you just kind of read it and you go, man, that's just, that's a lot of direction. That's a lot of things to remember. And I've actually sat down and tried to draw it out and I've had to read it three or four times going, What does this look like? And trying to get it exactly right. And it's amazing how much detail God put into the temple. And then this thing on the bottom, is it's a crown that the priest would wear once a year when they went into on the Day of Atonement. And in Hebrew it says, holy to the Lord. And he said, if you don't go in with that, then you're going to die when you come in. 
And so you can imagine going in for the very first time with this on and just hoping that it works. <laughs> I mean, your life is literally about to end. And God was serious about being holy, being set apart for him. That only with that seal from him can we get in to be with him. That was from the beginning of time until now. But I know what some of you are thinking. Exodus was a long time ago. Right? That's, that's ancient history. That's the old covenant. We're not back there. That doesn't apply to me. Well... Why do you think Jesus did all the miracles that he did? So that people would be in awe of him. They would have a respect and an honor and a fear of him. When he fed the 3,000. When he walked on the water. When he drove out the demons into the pigs. When he rose the dead. When he, raised him, when he was raised himself. When large crowds came to get him and he just went right through them. Just moved him out of the way. And the night before he was crucified, the guards came to get him and he said his name, Jesus, and they fell down at his feet. People were in awe of Jesus. And maybe sometimes you need to go back and read the Gospels again and say, you know, Jesus is, it's the same. He's pretty serious about his words. He doesn't change them. He says what he means and he means what he says. And there's an awe and a respect that I pray that you have that same conviction. That there is a God and he's not you. And he's not me. So I need to find out what he wants from my life. I need to find out what his word says and how to put it into, me, into my world and to live it out. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to move on to our second point. When they connect this in the New Testament, the holiness of God, the awesomeness of his temple. And in verse 14, it says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, he wanted to inherit his blessing. He was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. That God wants us to make every effort to be holy, to be set apart, to live for him. There's even a scripture that says, if it's hard for the righteous to make it into heaven, what's going to happen to the godless and the sinner? I mean, God wants us to work with him to give our whole heart to becoming more like him in this life. He's the one that makes us holy, and he's the one that makes us more like his son. The word... Hagiosmos, which means holiness or consecration or purification of your heart and life. And finally, it means sanctification. That God makes us holy by his spirit. And he leads us through this life, making us more and more like his son. That's why he calls us to stay in step with the spirit. 
because he's working on us more and more. If you're a disciple of Christ, then he has given you, he has put that seal on your heart and your head that you are holy to the Lord. My point number two is not sanctified, but sanctified. That he makes us more like his son through the Holy Spirit. He marks us and says that you are his. You're his son and you're his daughter. It begins when we receive the Holy Spirit and continues as we allow him to move in our lives and don't quench the Spirit. God is purifying you right now. With things that are going on in your life, he has put in there to help you be more like Christ. The same things that we fight against are the things that God has put there to refine us. You know, you can hear my voice. I woke up this week and I just thought, oh, this is awesome. We have our biggest service ever in a couple weeks and I'm sick. And I just smiled to myself and just remembering, you know, it's not about me. It doesn't matter if I'm sick, if I'm even there. God is still awesome whether I'm doing anything. And I thought, I thought to myself that it was just his little reminder that if I take away just a little thing of your health, you're nothing. And it, it gets me every time. And I realize my life is in his hands. I can't do it myself. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing really good and he could take away one thing and I'm not doing so good. I pray that we have that spirit. But I just looked at a few passages where he says that to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people. And it says in another translation to his saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So if you are a disciple of Christ and you are holy in God's eyes, that same awesomeness, that same wonder that he looks at, that he calls as holy is in you as well. This, this point blew my mind this past week. He said, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God has given us this spirit when we come to have faith, believe, and be baptized into his name. That he's given us something that can never be taken away. That no matter what happens, that's the most valuable thing that you will ever get. And someday you're going to be able to trade that in for a crown. That's, yeah, he's right. That's a small promise of what's to come. And when you think about what we've already read, that the most holy place that the priest had to go once a year, trembling with the holy on his head, that was a foreshadowing of the Holy Spirit that is in us. Because you are the temple of Christ. And he wanted the whole time. He didn't really care. He doesn't care about the, the most holy and the holy and all that stuff anymore. 
Because his whole plan was to live inside of you and me. That was his ultimate desire, to be our father, to have that same power inside of us. That was just the building up, and we get to live that out. Do you believe that you have, as a disciple of Christ, you have the Holy of Holies inside of you? That the Holy Spirit is in there. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in your life. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up feeling that too often. I wake up feeling tired. I'm feeling grumpy. I'm looking for coffee. I'm hurting. But that's when we need to feed the Spirit in our lives, because then that that brings us alive. You know, what are you feeding God's temple? What are you feeding the Spirit in your life? Are you eating up the Word to, to grow and to be in step with His Word and His Spirit? Where do you go with God's temple? Where do you take the Spirit of the living God? If He could just follow us around to the places that we go and the things that we do, would He be honored? Would he be set apart as holy? Would he feel like you're treating the temple like he wants the temple to be treated? And I know a lot of times people talk about that with food. But I'm really talking about that with any kind of sin. It's not just about our physical health. That has nothing to do with it. He wants us to take care of it, but it's going to die. It's going to be gone to dust. He cares what we do with our spirit. He cares how we treat people. He cares how we honor him. He cares if we listen to his voice or not. When the spirit is prompting us, do we go with it or do we turn it off? See, we do have the spirit, but we also have the same decision to decide whether we're going to go with the spirit or we're going to go with ourselves. We're going to go with the spirit or we're going to go with the sinful nature. And there's a struggle that's going on inside of each one of us. And when you read the scriptures on holiness, sexuality comes out more than most sins. You know, I know we're having a class coming up in a few weeks. You know, if you've been struggling with sexual sin as a guy in the last month, why wouldn't you go? Why wouldn't you want to clean out your house, your temple? Because God's not happy if you're just taking it, if you're just continuing and going through the same cycle over and over and over. If you're not fighting, he's not fired up. And I pray that you can make a decision. That's just one example. But any area of our lives, if we're not pleasing to God, then why wouldn't we want to go after that? Why wouldn't we want to be open about it? Why wouldn't we want to keep the temple holy? When we see God for who he really is, we want to keep it holy. And it's not just to look good for you guys. It's to look good for him. It's because I want to present myself wholly to him because he's the one that matters. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. That we're not doing this alone. It's not about, hey, I just got to try harder and do it all myself. That's kind of why we had to get forgiven in the first place. But the Holy Spirit helps us as we live by his spirit, as we follow his plan. He enables us to grow more and more like his son. Like I said, the same power that raised Christ is living in you. 
And if you don't feel like you can change, then you're calling God a liar. Then he wants to build your faith to be able to see that, yes, I can change. It's not just for someone else. This is for me. And it might take, to, might take a day. It might take a month. It might take the rest of my life. But I'm, I'm going to go for it. Because God promises that we will change. Thank you so much for Gonzalo and just how he shared. Part of the battle is getting real with your life. I bet you, you never heard that at church before. I know I haven't. That's real. That's where God is. He's just unleashing God's power because he's getting all the fear out of his heart and he doesn't care what you think about him. And God's like, amen, I can use that. But not only does he want us to fear him, but he wants us to know that we have a spirit of sonship, that he calls us father, that that was his plan from the beginning, that we look to him as our dad, that we define ourselves through our father, our perfect dad who's leading us through this life. But how does God lead us? How does God train us? How does he make us more like his son, more set apart, more holy? Anyone? Through suffering. Through, through hardship. Through challenges. Through being stretched. Through being pushed. Through things that we didn't want. Things that we didn't ask for. Things that we can't control. God is the perfect father and he's got you exactly where he wants you to be. He's teaching you something specific right now. The only question is, am I listening? Am I faithful enough to try to learn what is God showing me in my life? Or do I just turn it off and hate my circumstances? Or blame someone else? Or blame my situation? God has got us where we need to be so that we can be like Christ. Amen? He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It can be painful at times, doesn't it? It says, later on. And now later on, I don't know how it is for you, but later on for me is usually a lot more later on than I want it to be. The whole time thing is, uh, you know, kind of messed up at times. At least my time is messed up. God's is perfect. Maybe he's waiting for me to listen. Maybe go faster if I just listen. He says, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I pray that you'll choose God's way even though it is full of discipline. That you won't back away and want to do your own thing. Because that would put you in the God position and not him. He wants to make us holy. He wants to refine us. And I know many of you have heard this story about how a silversmith refines the silver and burns it and heats it until all the impurities go away. Over and over and over. As they leave, as they leave through heat. And what he does, this is actually a piece of silver. 
And the way that he knows that it's, it's finished, it's purified, is because he can see his reflection in it. And some of you have heard that story where God is refining us and looking down to see his reflection in us. Let's accept the discipline. Let's be faithful about what, is God, what God is doing with our lives. He's helping us to be more like his son. You don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews 5, it talks about how God treated his own son in the same way that he treats us. He says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And I pray that today that you will have a greater awe of the holiness of God. And that we will all commit ourselves to a path of holiness. To seeing God work in our lives. To see, imagine the amazing things that he's going to do. Thank you so much.